You know, I had an idea like that once, a long time ago. Really? What was it, Tom? It was a jump to conclusions mat. You see, it would be this mat that you would put on the floor and would have different conclusions written on it that you could jump to. That is the worst idea I've ever heard in my life, Tom. Mom, I really like this. Cute. What's it made of? Wool. Like from a cow? Uh-huh. Duh, Ashley. All wool comes from a cow. Catch me outside. How about that? Can I come into the out now? Laugh it up, fuzzball. Go ahead. Make my day. Oh, yeah. You sounded like Dirty Harry just then. What would you say you do here? Wow, the insecurity level with you guys is ridiculous. And every time something would go wrong, I would look at the camera and say, Hey, what happened? Yeah, I, I believe you have my stapler. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the intersection of faith, family, and filmmaking. You're listening to Fearless with Mark and Amber, a behind-the-scenes of our filmmaking ministry, Fearless Features, where we are creating documentary films about the issues impacting our culture and society from a biblical perspective and pursuing truth above all else. I'm Amber Archer, and joining me is my husband, author, director, speaker, Mark Archer. Are you threatening me? <laughs> I am the great corn <laughs> You can learn. Oh, you can learn more about us and the movies we're making by visiting fearlessfeatures.org. You're everyone's problem. Oh my goodness! I don't like you because you're dangerous. You and your buttons. Are you threatening me? <laughs> I love a my new buttons. intro. I know I love it. Great job, babe. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure everybody kind of like, whoa, these two are a little out there. Yeah. I mean, we love movies. What, and what sound could lives. it be this week? <laughs> anyway, we know that he has way too much time on his hands. Right. <laughs> uh huh. So this week, hey, we got another screening coming up. Yes, this Friday, Noblesville, Indiana. Mm-hmm. So Life Church. In Noblesville, it's the same place we had the world premiere. The red carpet. Yeah, the red carpet premiere. So if you miss that, now's your chance. Tickets are $14. You can get them at dysphoriamovie.com. Or text the word Noblesville to 80888. Booyah. There you go. Okay. Anything else exciting going on? No, I'm just ready to get down to business. What are we doing today? So we're going to continue on with the Rialto story. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to this. So last week, uh, shared a couple of clips from a, this was the clips last week from, were from, I think 1984. It was mm-hmm. a conference that was put on by, um, Dr. Jerry Kirk and it was the national, now I, I, I had it in my head and I forgot what a national, See, learned to write something about obscenity and old. decency and pornography. <laughs> It's a really long title, and it was, it's it's kind of hard. Anyway, um, so I have a couple of clips here that I want to share. But first, I have to explain kind of my connection to this story. Okay. And the Rialto Theater in particular. So um, talked about this a little bit, a little bit last week. So I was always interested in this story because I remember it as a kid. Mm-hmm. Used to, I knew as a kid about one of the porno theaters. It was on Broadway in Fort Wayne, Indiana. My dad worked in at GE on Broadway, which was further up Broadway. And every once in a while, we would drive down Broadway. And I actually, I have a distant memory of seeing picketers mm-hmm. outside, but it was called the Cinema Blue, mm-hmm. and 
you know, I was a little kid. So all I knew was that's a bad place. They show dirty movies there. But I, I, in my innocence, I didn't understand really what was going on there. Mm-hmm. My mom used to tell me about Steve Sims, the prosecutor, and how he was a good man and he was cleaning things up. And then found out that I'm distantly related to Steve Sims mm-hmm. because the Sims family line is, is part of our family tree. So, um, so all these years later, I was really interested in finding out what all that was about, what all the picketing was about, things like that. So it's random, right? So it was, it was just kind of always in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to, um, 1997 mm-hmm. okay summer of 1997 so i had just done my first movie mm-hmm. in the company of men and we had won the sundance film festival and my career was starting to take off mm-hmm. i'm 23 24 mm-hmm. and i have now managed to put together another deal to do a movie and this time I get to direct. So my first movie, I was the producer only. Um, and then this one, I, I was a co-producer and I got to direct it and it was called American real R E E L. So, um, I was looking, I was here in Fort Wayne and we were going to shoot the film here in Fort Wayne. So this is what's funny. We talk about how uncreative the creative industry is, right? <laughs> yeah. So when we did our, when I did my first movie in the company of men, and I do not recommend that you run out and watch it because it's very vulgar. It's a, it's a very dark, vulgar rated R nineties indie film. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, it was perfect for Sundance, but I was not following the Lord pretty much at all at that period in my life. And I did that film. Um, and I really didn't care what the Lord thought, mm-hmm. right? But we did this film. We won the Sundance Film Festival. And then suddenly, because that film got so big, I mean, in the independent film world, it was, you know, it was huge. I mean, there were news articles. Yeah. Even authors were including you in book segments. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was... I think, I think by the time it was said and done, we won... 27 awards or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the film played at Cannes and, and mm-hmm. there, there were awards that I was nominated for. I didn't even know. I mean, that's a whole other story. I was kind of cut out of the process, but so anyway, I had moved on and I was trying to get this next film going and we had managed to secure as our, uh, in our cast, David Carradine. Mm-hmm. David Carradine, if I think a lot of our listeners will remember who he was, he was the Kung Fu guy. Mm-hmm. I only knew him as I remembered him. I knew he was the Kung Fu guy, but I never watched Kung Fu mm-hmm. as a, as a kid. And you gotta remember this is before YouTube. Right. So you couldn't just Google somebody if you had to, you had to kind of figure Do out your if, own research. <laughs> if you wanted to research somebody's film career that you had to go to you know, Del Mar video and blockbuster and find movies that they were in. Mm-hmm. So I think I watched, um, well, I remembered him from being in an episode of airwolf, okay, which is a TV series that I watched religiously as a uh, kid. Yeah. And, um, and I remembered him um, and still today and still today. <laughs> I do watch it a lot. 
I do love Airwolf. Um, so, and I remembered him uh, from that and a couple other things. And so he, he was our, uh, had agreed to be the lead in this. And because to the Hollywood people, we had apparently found some magical formula mm-hmm. making a movie in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to shoot. I talked them into shooting American Real, also in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Uh-huh. And it sort of made sense because I was basically bringing the same crew along and some of the same cast. And so they they would look at it and go, wow, you had some magic there. We want some of that magic. Yeah. Right? So let's just do that again with a different script. So here I am back in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I'm location scouting. And one of the scenes for the film requires an old movie theater. Mm-hmm. There's this, this scene uh, in a theater. And so I'm looking around for old movie theaters. And I remembered the Rialto movie theater. And I knew it was there because one of my projects just a few years before that, that led to doing In the Company of Men, we shot in, a, in a, an abandoned warehouse that was just a few blocks north of where the Rialto was. So mm-hmm. I had kind of seen it down there and I always wondered, cause I love old movie theaters, kind of always wondered what it was like. Okay. So I find myself meeting a realtor because the theater was, was for sale at mm-hmm. the time. So this theater was built in the twenties and, um, hadn't been open for a while. I didn't really know any of the history of the Rialto. So I'm meeting this realtor there who's going to show me around. And I had told him, no, I'm not interested in buying it. I'm interested in renting it for a movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this guy meets me and it's probably, I don't know, July or something. And I remember very distinctly how hot it was. And then we went into the theater and it, so the Rialto had been abandoned since the, since the mid eighties. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew. This is now the mid nineties. So it's been sitting vacant for over over a decade. A decade. Yeah. And so we go in and so the seats were still in it and everything and the plasters falling off the off the walls and off the ceiling. And it it's almost just, makes you feel bad for it. Yeah. It's it, a, knowing that it was once a beautiful Yeah, it was a beautiful theater. Mm-hmm. It really was. And and it it's still there, but um that's a whole other story. But so we go in and we're looking around and and I'm immediately I'm going, oh, no, this is <laughs> this is not what I I need something. <laughs> not that's, what I'm envisioning. I'm not looking for a demolition job here. Yeah. I'm looking for something that, you know, has some character, not this much character. Um, this was like, you know, urban grunge. And so he's he says uh, he starts talking to me and he says, he says, well, do you want to see the upstairs? And I said, OK. Because I thought, yeah, I want to see the projection booth. I want to see these mm-hmm. old projectors. We go upstairs, and where the offices were are hot tubs. Okay. 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 <laughs> so he starts filling me in on, he says, oh, you don't know the history of this place. <laughs> the Rialto was the other porno movie theater mm. in this story. And when it was abandoned, after it got shut down, Basically, everything was left there. And so not only were they showing porno, they were filming porn. Mm. They were publishing it. And they also had a a brothel upstairs, hence the 
hot tubs. Yes. Right? There was at least two or three of them. And it was, I just distinctly remember walking up and just standing there in a hallway and looking in and going, what in the world <laughs> is this? <laughs> mm -hmm. There's hot tubs up here. And, and so that was, that was my connection to the Rialto. That was your introduction to the Rialto. That was my introduction to the Rialto. So it very quickly became apparent that, no, this is not what we need. And so I never, I never went back in there again, obviously. And I wasn't looking to buy it or anything. Well, you didn't go back there until, until a few decades later. Right. So this was about 2014 mm -hmm. and um, we were, I had been on hiatus from yeah. doing any kind of production work. I had been going back to school, trying to change careers. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Lord started stirring something in me. And so I went back to the Rialto because I had started talking, I started doing research on this story that we're, that we're talking about here now about, about what happened. And it brought me back to the Rialto theater. And at the time when, uh, this interview that you'll hear after the break, uh, with Bob Yawberg, at the time that I interviewed him at the Rialto. So this is the reason why I did the interview with him upstairs at the Rialto. Mm -hmm. So when I interviewed him, of course, it had been cleaned out. Right. The hot tubs weren't there anymore. Um, and, and, but there was an organization called the Reclamation Project that had, um, that had purchased it and they were trying to renovate it and make it a community center kind of thing. And I actually remember being sent down there with a camera a few years earlier because um, our church had sort of a work day and we sent a group of people down there to help with a bunch of demolition to, mm -hmm. and they were taking out all the seats and cleaning the auditorium out and things like that. And that's when that was the first time since I had been there location scouting that I went back to the Rialto and I, and I was like, wait a minute, I remember this place. I was here. Mm -hmm. And so that long story short, long story there long, that's, that's how. So the reclamation project uh, tried to refurbish the theater, uh, kind of fell apart. The theater really it's, it's, I don't know who owns it now, but it needs major work. Yeah. The, the the, the upstairs floor is actually falling down. <laughs> so I remember when we were up there, uh, there was a whole side of that upstairs that you really couldn't walk on because you'd fall through mm -hmm. and die, you know, things like that. Um, but the, uh, you know, so the projectors were still up there and things like that. So that is the Rialto. So there's, the behind there's the scenes. my background of how I got so obsessed with this. So mm -hmm. I have, um, audio from the 700 club okay and this is from about i think this is probably about 83 84 okay, okay? um and uh well we'll just give a listen to this because they actually interviewed um the owner of the rialto his name was danny Ertle, and mm. you'll hear bob talk about him in his interview so here okay. we go <laughs> a Superior Court judge in Fort Wayne, Indiana, sentenced an adult bookstore clerk to six months in prison and a $5,000 fine. Now, 
he was charged with selling obscene material to an undercover police officer. This is not an isolated incident in Fort Wayne. At least seven other clerks have been brought to trial on obscenity charges, and many more cases are scheduled this month in Fort Wayne courts. Many in Fort Wayne credit the prosecution's get-tough-against-pornography policy to the urgings of a local coalition of churches and businessmen. They call themselves the Citizens for Decency Through Law. Reporter Eric Thurman tells us more about CDL's battle against pornography. Fort Wayne, Indiana, a small Midwestern city known as the City of Churches. But Fort Wayne is also a city with a handful of X-rated bookstores and theaters. When one pornography shop moved down the street from his church, this pastor, Reverend Bob Yawberg of the Broadway Christian Church, said pornographers had gone too far in his city. I prayed for 100 pastors who would stand together for decency. We had 118 who actually signed cards and said we were willing for our name to be printed in the newspaper. Yawberg, with the support of other area pastors and businessmen, started a local chapter of Citizens for Decency Through Law. CDL is a national organization working for enforcement of existing obscenity laws. They began protesting what they feel are violations of the Indiana laws by daily, legally, picketing the city's adult bookstores and theaters. They also sponsored a rally for decency in downtown Fort Wayne, which drew support of over 50 area churches. And the picketing stirred up a flurry of controversy, with both sides citing the other for harassment. They, there has been uh, water uh, hosing um, uh, on our people. There has toilet water been brought out and thrown on the sidewalk and on the feet of our people. Uh, obscenities have been shouted. There have been um, uh, indecency in terms of exposing um, parts of people's bodies. Our picketers have had their names put up on the marquee of the movie theaters. Um, usually they've taken a lady, uh, they put up her name, they put her address, and her personal telephone number. I can go on and on. Well, if uh, they want to come out here in public and carry a sign and try and destroy my business, I don't feel they should have any objection to uh, uh, their name being made public. Dan Ertle is owner of a locally owned adult movie house in Fort Wayne, the Rialto. Though he says the picketing cost him close to half of his audience at first, business has picked up again. And Ertl insists he's actually providing a service to the community like any other small businessman. Most of the people that are objecting to an X-rated movie don't even know what they're objecting to because they've never seen one. The only thing they've been, they know is what they've been told by their pastors who were obviously duped and misled by the CDL. Picketer Carol Hochmuth disagrees. Though there have been major studies on the effects of pornography that contradict one another, Hochmuth says there is no doubt in her mind that sexually explicit materials are harmful, especially in light of the women she's counseled at the inner city mission. Some of the ladies, one lady, for example, was uh, had to do things at gunpoint that no lady should be forced to do. And this would be with her all of her life. Another lady was forced to do things with an animal that no human being should be forced to do. Uh, another lady had to watch a child being molested, all because of hardcore porno. Fort Wayne Mayor Winfield Moses says he's concerned about how pornography makes his unemployment-plagued city 
less desirable to new business. It's awfully hard to bring people into town and tell them what a good quality of life we have when, in fact, they walk past an adult bookstore and see the flashing lights and think that this is a type of community that tolerates those things. And so it's important to us in an economic development sense as well as a social fabric sense to try to remove them. Mayor Moses, as well as Fort Wayne's chief of police and CDL, have recently been named in a $600,000 federal court lawsuit. The employees and owners of the adult bookstores and movie houses are suing on the grounds they have been illegally arrested, and they allege there is a conspiracy to shut them down. We asked for a meeting with those people to get details of their charges, but they declined to discuss the case with us pending the outcome of their suit. Whatever the result of the case, Reverend Yawberg insists CDL will keep picketing until Indiana's obscenity laws are upheld. For the 700 Club, this is Eric Thurman reporting. That's quite a battle that's going on in a, in a city called the City of Churches. It looks like the City of Churches is uh, standing up for its name, doesn't it? <laughs> so, there is an uh, interesting bit of history there. Mm -hmm. um, I saw you rolling your eyes when Danny Ertel was talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, just his, his, his um, way of trying to justify... It's nothing new, is it? Well, and that's the same thought, thing we hear now. You know, there there is nothing new under the sun. And how interesting! And I was just thinking of when they were putting the the women's names on the marquee. I mean, mm -hmm. there's there's doxing before it was you know oh, yeah. online. Yeah. You know, just all all of these. There is nothing new under the sun. Right. But we can always learn from and do better. Mm hmm. I, I'm I'm blown away listening to that that the owner yeah speak about the obscenities and you know. Because, you know, you haven't watched it, so you don't even know what you're picketing for. Mm -hmm. The the very sad thing is, is we now have these obscene materials in the education system. Yep. I mean, that's what the, the Mind Polluters was all about, you know, trying to get people to wake up and see there there really is nothing new under the sun. But we as citizens and just how amazing it was that there were actually churches who banded together to take this on. Mm -hmm. And I just think, and how many times have we seen, especially when there's legislation or anything happening at the state house in terms of trying to protect children, where are the, where, where really are the pastors right. leading the churches to say, Hey, we should be paying attention to this right. and standing in opposition and supporting the legislators who are trying to protect children. Well, you know, we don't, uh, we don't get involved in politics, right? Right, so, because right. And we see how far that's gotten us with that mindset. Right, right. It's, and, not, it's in the schools, and what are you doing? Right. Well, it's, you know, it's like the, uh, um, I remember saying this when, remember when, when COVID and all the masks and mm -hmm. all this nonsense. And f for months, it was, nope, this is how it's going to, this is just the new normal. This is just the new normal. I just get used to it. Everything's going to be like we're going to be wearing masks for at least another 10 years. I mean, and then all of a sudden everything kind of stopped. It yeah. all disappeared and everybody within months, all the States, you know, no, no more mask mandates, blah, blah, blah. And I remember saying at the time, and it wasn't just me saying, this is not a victory. This is them making a tactical retreat. Yeah. Trust me, this will be back because mm -hmm. it didn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like there was some battle and we won. It was no, nope, suddenly it disappears and, it, you know, kind of like in the movie Twister, when they're they're watching the big tornado and then suddenly it goes and it goes back up and, yeah. and it's it's disappeared. And it's they said Only no, it's, until it touches down. Right. And he they, says, no, it didn't disappear. It's back building. Yeah. And then it appears behind him. OK, 
So uh, when, and I'm not downplaying the victory that was, that was demonstrated here in Fort Wayne, but what happened was the pornographers, yes, they suffered a defeat, but they basically regrouped. Mm -hmm. And now, and you know, the reason why, so I tried to pitch this as a movie many years ago, and we talked a little bit about this, this, this studying, this was really what led us to doing the mind pollutants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I wanted to do the, the Rialto story and I was pitching it to some people and the guy, the one guy said, <laughs> I don't know why you're talking about a story that's 30 plus years old. We need you to talk about what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what motivated us to do what became the mind polluters. But the, and, and while I understood and, and agreed partially with what he said, my response at the time was, but the story is timeless. Yeah. And what happened, it, maybe it took place in the 80s, but it's still relevant because it's an inspirational story. And it's not, you know, and when you when you kind of step back and look at it and the, sort of the parallels that you see today, it's not, you know, unfortunately, the churches who have the truth, mm -hmm. um, even though they're not the ones leading, there are their congregations who are coming out and starting new grassroots organizations. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's just what you see now today. It's, yeah. it's now the grassroots organizations who are leading mm -hmm. and really what a, what a dramatic shift it would be if it really were the churches who were the ones getting involved and helping lead mm -hmm. and not closing their doors yeah. to people. Well, if I can just preach for a second, I mean, it's, the reason why you're seeing this is because it's it's like we've you know we've seen, um, and I, I'm not I'm not trying to create controversy and get into the theology of women pastors, okay, but we have seen more women pastors who are willing to host screenings of dysphoria mm -hmm. than men, and uh, women are in inherently protective of right. children right <laughs> and in fact the, the the first female pastor that approached us about wanting to and she said well i don't know how you feel about women pastors and we kind of talked about it and i said you know i'm not this isn't an endorsement of your church that's not really what we're looking for venues and church bodies that are willing to talk about this that are willing to share the truth so um that's not it's not the issue you know, I don't think it's a salvation issue. And so the the thing that we've noticed is that the uh, things like, you know, churches led by women or just the grassroots organizations and you go, well, what? And there are a lot of churches that will go, well, that's not right. They shouldn't be doing that. Well, why are they doing that? Maybe mm -hmm. it's because you won't lead. Yeah. Maybe it's because you stop sharing the gospel. Maybe it's because you've grown comfortable and cowardly and people are starving for truth yeah and they're at least willing to share the truth right mm -hmm. i mean so i don't get into that I'm, I'm not here to debate those you know that whole side of things but i will stand with anyone who is willing to take a stand for the truth and mm -hmm. to share the truth and the sharing the gospel i don't care mm -hmm. I, we, we are we are so far down the line here. We do not have time to continue to, to divide squabble. ourselves and squabble <laughs> over these stupid things. This is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. 
So anyway, let's go to break. And then we come back and we've got audio from my interview with Bob at the Rialto Theater. Okay. BRB. Hey, this is Pastor Micah Beckwith. I'd like to invite you to a can't-miss event on February 16th, 6.30 p.m. at Life Church, where we will be hosting the premiere of a powerful and eye-opening documentary called Dysphoria. Through the personal stories of three families, Dysphoria reveals the shocking truths behind the transgender agenda and its devastating impact on individuals, families, and society as a whole. Tickets are just $14. Text the word Noblesville to 80888 for more info. That's Noblesville to 80888. Can't wait to see you there. Okay, so we were talking this morning about how much truth we can and can't put into our films. Right, and um, just a little a context, mm-hmm. especially as we're um, seeking distribution for dysphoria, which can take a, a large amount of time depending mm-hmm. upon who you talk to, but it's really fascinating to be in this position right now where, um, you know, when you're you're shopping it around we have great legal counsel who has been in the industry for decades Mm -hmm. and taking it around to different sales agents in the industry i mean that that are big players in the industry and to continue to get the feedback that's too christian i can't touch it right (laughs) and so what a fascinating position to be in and really honestly now we look at it and are going, okay, you know, the Lord is allowing us to go through this, especially right now, mm-hmm. you know, to teach us something. And I and I think really, honestly, to just expose everything that we have thought to be true and to see it for ourselves and to experience it ourselves. And especially as we move into um, other film projects like Laodicea, just being able to see it with our own eyes. Mm-hmm for perspective purposes, I think is, is really where we're at with dysphoria. That's why it's, it's very exciting to be able to still go and show it. Um, but just knowing how much the world is trying to silence yeah. the truth. Yeah. I don't, and it, 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 I can't overemphasize this with the kinds of films that we're doing here in dysphoria. If you thought the mind polluters was controversial, dysphoria is, <laughs> is, is like 10 X. Yeah. Right. And so the mind, we've shared this before, but the mind polluters, we were told by two major quote unquote Christian organizations to remove references to Christ Mm -hmm. because it was too Christian. This one, dysphoria, not only are we told that it's too Christian, but we've been told now that you have to remove references to Satanism and the occult Mm -hmm. because it's too, it's too scary. It's too much. So we find ourselves in this situation where we truly don't fit we mm-hmm. we make anywhere. films that don't fit anywhere it's it's we're not <laughs> love making, your work kid can't help you yeah love your work kid can't help you at all <laughs> and i think you know i i believe that there's a lot of these kind of unseen um battles if you will where we have been sent by the lord to force people in the industry to take a stand one way or the other mm. to there we confront them sometimes without meaning to mm-hmm. but the fact that you bring it to them and they watch it and they have to you know verbally say yes or no and if, i can tell you pretty much they've all said no mm-hmm. and they are now accountable to the lord mm-hmm. for what they have done so i i, I think it's 
I think it's fascinating and it's not just people in the industry. It's, no. it's people who have, you know, big business leaders that you see doing church leaders, church leaders doing what you think are, is great work, but they, they take a stand firmly against us and our ministry. They, they refuse to allow this film to be shown. They refuse to talk about these issues and you know yet it speaks to every audience that it's ever shown yeah, in front of yeah people can't wait to show it to their friends and family right that's that's the fascinating right. double-edged sword that we're dealing with right and i was talking this morning about you know i love i love my history channel shows <laughs> yeah. and i love uh war history and i've been watching an old a series from the history channel called the, the last days of world war ii mm -hmm. and you know, when the Allies, uh, when, when the Nazis were defeated and the Allies started liberating the concentration camps and they would find these people who were on the brink of death from starvation, you know, malnutrition, and they look like walking skeletons, basically walking corpses. And it's interesting because they, they talk about how, of course, the the immediate reaction of the troops is let's feed these people, right? Let's share our K rations with mm -hmm. them. Let's, but they had to, they had to basically restrict that. And because if you, someone who has been starved for that long, you can't just give them a Big Mac mm -hmm. and, and they start to feel better there. You, they have to be slowly brought back to health. You can't just, if you give them something, you know, a, a, a hamburger to eat, it'll kill them. Their, their bodies are not able to handle that. And I, and I was watching that and I thought, you know, this is a lot like when we talk about, uh, it, I mean, if you've seen the mind polluters uh, or dysphoria and you know how much hard truth there is in that. Mm -hmm. And trust me when we tell you that we're only skimming the surface. There's so much more that yeah. we really want to tell you. <laughs> but knowing that we couldn't. we Knowing that it, there's only so much that you, I mean, part of it is time and, and trying to make it interesting in a story. But a lot of it is you realize that the vast majority of people who are watching it. Um, it's, it may be their first time being exposed right. to seeing what's happening. Right. So if truth is nourishment, then the vast majority of your watching audience, they're, they're those starving, walking corpses, and they're starved for truth. And so you have to give it to them in little bits at a time so that their bodies can process it. Mm -hmm. uh, because if I, if I download everything... <laughs> yeah, that we have learned because we live in this all the time. It'll it'll blow you up. I mean, it, you, you won't you won't survive it. And, and, so, and for anybody who's asking, well, how do we survive it? Mm -hmm. We are in God's Word in the Bible daily. You mm -hmm. have got to be reading and inoculating your heart and mind yes. from the world. And the lies. And you have to be in prayer and you have to, oh my we, goodness, we have yes. so many people that pray for us. We're so grateful for them. We can feel it. Mm -hmm. We can't. And when, and when we talk to people and they ask us, well, how do you do that? You know, how do I get into doing what you do? I don't think that you should. I, I tell people a lot of times, listen, 
you can't ta- you probably can't handle this. You should only you should only do this job if the Lord calls you to do it because yes. he's the only one who's going to give you strength. Yeah. Because it's don't do it because you think you're going to get rich. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck. If it works out for you, let us yeah, know. Let us know how you do that. It'd be interesting. Um, so anyway. Back, okay. back, back to the nourishment. So back here's, to what you're doing. All right. So let's get back to Bob. So uh-huh. so I tracked down Bob Yogberg and this I interviewed him. Um, and I wanted to get the whole story. And so I, my, my total conversation with him was probably an hour and a half. So we're going to do this in little bits. So this is the beginning of my conversation with Bob and we went and I took him to the Rialto theater and I actually filmed this. So I have, I have this on film. Um, and we sat at a table by the window upstairs at the Rialto Theater, where all of this debauchery once happened. And so, anyway, without any further ado, here is Pastor Bob Yelberg. So here we are sitting in the upper chambers of the Rialto Theater. It's now been reclaimed. Um, and what's, uh, just what are the, the thoughts and feelings that, that you have when you when you think back of what what a den this place used to be. Mark, I think of some two thousand men and women who walked the streets in front of the Rialto, in front of three hardcore porn stores, the Erotica House, Fort Wayne Books, and the other one over on Broadway. And it was because of those faithful people, summer, winter, (laughs) spring and fall, that outstayed the porn people. And they were committed. They, They believed in what they were doing. They believed in standing up for decency and walking for decency. And they agreed to the laws uh, that they signed. They wouldn't talk to anyone. They wouldn't respond in any way to persecution. They had two rights, the right of assembly and the right of speech, freedom of speech. They had a right to be there. And they carried signs that were just simply saying they were supporting the police, the prosecutor, the court. And there was not a single personal injury in two and a half years. And that's miraculous because when we started this in August of 1982, at that time we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know about personal injury or what else. But on the marquee out here of this theater, one particular day, it appeared a woman's name and telephone number, one of our picketers, and she was named as Picketer of the Week. And I know they thought that would frighten, but it didn't. <laughs> it, it, if anything, it stimulated the women to say, look, we're not being in, uh, intimidated. And so what happened, uh, someone broke into our computer records at the St. Joe Hospital, and they got our whole mailing list. Well, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. It, it, it just, they just said, we're not stopping now, no way. And Danny Ertle stood outside on the sidewalk who used to own and operate this place. And he, he just simply said, I have a right to be here. I'm, I'm running a business that is of positive help to the influence of the community. He said, the pastors have duped you. 
They've never been in here. They don't know what we're doing. We're, we've just got a legitimate business. He lied through his teeth, but that's what he thought. That's what he believed, and that was his privilege. But it was the persistence, it was the prayers that finally, and, and the prosecuting attorney and the laws that finally brought this place down. And thank God it was brought down in time because I heard the stories of there was, there was bondage and, and horrendous adultery going on in this room being pictured. And they thought they could make magazines of it and, and, and send it out from here as well as movies. And the justice of God we see here because he did not allow it. So <laughs> I never thought I would be sitting in this room. Um, I'm, I'm privileged to be here. And I thank the, thank the Lord for your work and your vision in putting something like this together. Let's go back to um, when it all started. Um, so it started with Tom Blee had been yeah, Tom was fight for a while. Tom way back in the 50s, single-handedly he was taking a stand, but it wasn't affecting uh, the public. And uh, there's, a, there's a book called The Tipping Point. And in that book it says that a certain time comes in the sale of a product or in a movement when you get enough mass, all at once it starts getting attention. And the farther it goes, it's like a snowball rolling to build a fort. And uh, the the media came out and, and they <laughs> picketing is news. And Tom Blee said it will be news. There never had been ticket picketing anywhere in the United States against pornography because of the fear, because we knew organized crime was behind it. And we had no idea what they would do to stop it. So it was, it, was a, it was a bold act, it was an act, act of faith, uh, but uh, it, it persisted. So Tom had, had tried to sue these adult bookstores himself personally, yes. and it was thrown out. Yeah. He was subsequently targeted for countersuit by them. Yeah. Um, so at what point in that? Uh, well, let's go back. Uh, to uh, something else. In 1973, there was a continent-wide movement called Key 73. And I was deeply involved in that. In fact, I became the national prayer chairman. I don't know how that came about, but I think it's because I believe in prayer. And after it ended, uh, Dr. Tim Warner, who was the president of Fort Wayne Bible College, and I sat in one of the downtown hotels. It's not here anymore. And we said, something else has to happen because now that emphasis is over. So we said, let's get together and pray for some pastors who would come together in prayer. We met in the little chapel down at the Broadway church, just the two of us. Before long, a third man came, a fourth man came. I thought the downtown pastors would welcome the opportunity, but they were all schedules and you know, at that point they weren't interested. I was new on the block anyway, so they didn't even know me. But by, in a matter of a few months, we had eight to 10 pastors, unknown guys, small churches, who were desperately in need of prayer and fellowship. 
And so we prayed for five years every Friday morning in that little chapel. And a young man, Pat Yale, showed up one morning. He was working for the cable company. And he was upset with some of the stuff that was going on cable, Playboy and some other things. And he said he'd been looking all over the city for some pastors who were praying or taking a stand. And somebody told him about us. Well, that wasn't our specific part, but we were praying because by that time, a hardcore porn store, the Erotica House, came into the same block of the Broadway Christian Church. So we, we really were serious. So he said, OK, uh, how, you've been praying five years. When are you going to do something? I said, well, well, Pat, you know, we're waiting to hear from the Lord. <laughs> and Pat said, uh, well, there ought to be some action. Tom Blee was contacted. And so Tom said, you know, come on, guys, you, you got to get do something. And we reported, well, the church is praying that the, the proprietor of this porn store will be converted. And I'll never forget Tom's response. He said, if that were to happen, it would make Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus look pretty small. As <laughs> <laughs> only Tom could say it. <laughs> I loved it. And it was about that time we realized it was time to. So CEO at St. Joe Hospital had come from the East Coast, a bulk of a man. And uh, he was a stalwart man for righteousness. He and I were having lunch at Cooper's Restaurant just across the street there. It isn't there anymore. And he looked out and he saw that heretica. I said, what's that smut place doing in my neighborhood? I said, I never, I, Tom, I thought you never would ask. Well, he said, if there's anything that we can do, that I can do to help, let me know. So he was number one on my list. So the time came when it was time to put together a coalition, a group of men. So there was, there was Tom Lee, of course, Tom jumped on board right away. And Jerry Diener was a, he owned a construction company here in town. Uh, uh, see, who was the fellow running uh, WB Sale at that time? Um, Jim yeah, Jim Schweigert. He came on board. Uh, Darrell, our uh, pastor from the inner city, African-American. And uh, let's see, I'm, I'm leaving somebody out here. But this group met over at St. Joe Hospital. And in a matter of and a lot of prayer preceded that, but in, in a matter of one hour, Every, every one of those men agreed, yes, it's time to do something. They organized. They made me the chairman of it <laughs> since this place was right next to our church building. So I said, all right. And then we realized that we needed to call a coalition of the community together, leaders who would be respected, who would have some authority and influence. So each man took it upon himself to contact a number of other leaders. And we ended up with 65 people, leaders in the community, business leaders, uh, political, social, church, who agreed to come to a meeting down at the Chamber of Commerce. And uh, so we, we put a lot of planning into it. We had a large green TV uh, donated. And we really took a risk by sending Pat Yale, who was <laughs> wanted to get it going, into the stores to buy samples of what was there because we didn't think that the public had any idea of what was being sold. We put those samples on two long tables, covered them up with the newspapers, and made our plea that the people there be the first ones to sign cards saying their name would be in the paper. We're going to take a stand against obscenity. And there, there's two laws we're going to ask to be enforced. It's illegal to distribute obscenity. It's illegal to display obscenity. So 
at the right time, the papers were taken off and they filed past these. It was awful. It was just, some people just almost got sick looking at it. They, they said, you mean to say this is being sold in our in, in, in Fort Wayne? I said, you better believe it. It came right off the shelves. Well, that's all they needed. And I think it was Jim said, well, you know, enough is enough. If not you, who? And if not now, when? And that did it. And we had over 60 of them sign their names and said, it's time. We will take a stand. Uh, it was overwhelming. Then I asked the question, well, what about pastors? Should we show them the same thing? They said, yes, because they don't know either. So we had a, a pastor's breakfast in a gym down at Broadway. And I don't know, we had 70, 80 pastors that came. And I'll never forget one of the wives said, my son is involved in this stuff and I'll do anything I can to help. She just was weeping as she told the story. He's addicted, she said. So what we asked these men to do, we knew they couldn't get church boards to agree to it, said, as individuals, will you agree to be a part of this? And they said, yes. Notice what he said there at the end. They knew that they couldn't get organizations, they couldn't get the churches mm -hmm. necessarily, the, the, the pastors as the organization to agree to be part of it, but they went after the individuals mm -hmm. and they, they approached the individuals said individually, will you sign this? And so what they did was they had, and I have, I have file drawers full of all of this stuff and they had the actual, um, the ad copy of the ad that they, that they ran in the paper. And it mm -hmm. was every single person that had signed it, all the pastors agreed to have their name in the paper. You know, saying we're taking a stand. If not now, when? If not you, then who? Um, and the interesting side note to this story is that the Erotica House bookstore that he's talking about was moved into the same block as Broadway Christian Church. This mm -hmm. is really what what started it all. This is what really got Bob's attention mm -hmm. because suddenly at the opposite end of the block, here's this pornographic bookstore. After all is said and done, and the Erotica House had been shut down along with the other ones, years later, Broadway Christian Church purchased that building. Mm -hmm. And it is a benevolence ministry. So mm -hmm. they uh, – and we actually did some some production work for them to help them promote their ministry. So they've got clothing available. Mm -hmm. They have food. They help people with – Bus passes, yeah. lo recovering lost identification, housing, evictions, you know, they mm -hmm. insurance issues. Right. You know, just just all kinds of different services to help people in their time of need. Yeah. So it's a it is a, a, a wonderful story of reclamation and redemption. What they did with that space and what it is used for now. It's it's been a ongoing ministry of that church for what, thirty years. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, anyway, so that's what happened to the old erotica house. So, mm -hmm. um, okay. So that's the, just the first part of this story with, uh, pastor Bob. And that is really all that I have for this week. So. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening through to the end and be sure to click that subscribe button. So you never miss an episode and share with your friends and family until next time, march on saints and be filled with the spirit. Today is best day ever.